We'll start in verse 26 and we'll read through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to, to, the, to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel of the Lord departed from her. Let's once again pray. I pray, dear Lord, that you uh, accompany your word and cause me to preach with power and conviction. For I pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. How important, how important is it that you affirm the virgin birth? How important is it really? The belief in the virgin birth has not fared well in secular society. Generally speaking, it is just perceived as a beautiful myth. I have been truly amazed at how unbelievers can sing such songs when they do not believe it. One of the favorite songs that unbelievers sing is Silent Night. The song gives reference to the virgin birth, saying, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, etc. I continue to be amazed how skeptics of the virgin birth can sing such songs when they do not believe it. Even in the church, this belief has not fared well. During the modernist fundamentalist controversy in the 1920s, over 1,000 ministers did not, north, excuse me, north of, 
Northern Presbyterian ministers denied the validity of the virgin birth. These and other events led to the formation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. In the Southern Church, this doctrine did not fare any better. Presbyterians by the mid-60s had so denied the supernatural in the Word of God that they also denied the virgin birth. I remember a story that the Reverend John Stodgill said to me about this doctrine. He said in the 1960s, before the PCA was formed, he asked a candidate in an examination committee if he believed in the virgin birth. And he was subsequently laughed out of the building because all the, excuse me, because the candidate nor the examiners believed in the virgin birth of Christ. However, regularly, liberal churches confess the Apostles' Creed, which affirms the belief in the conception by the Holy Spirit and birth by the Virgin Mary. If even liberals can confess a virgin birth without believing it to be true, once again I ask, how important is the doctrine of the virgin birth? I would say that it is extremely important that you affirm the belief in the virgin birth because it indicates what you believe about the Bible, it indicates what you believe about the Son of God, and furthermore, it indicates what you believe about prayer. This moves us to affirm the doctrine of the text in its simplest terms. According to the Bible... The Virgin, had, the Virgin Mary had a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. I will repeat that. According to the Bible, the Virgin Mary had a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. Although if you are here, you probably are convinced of this fact of Scripture. But I will show you how it, stated, it, it is stated in the Bible This is not a hypothesis. It is a a fact of Scripture that according to the Bible, a virgin called Mary had a child, Jesus, and this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I concede that it is a highly mysterious doctrine, but if you take mystery and the supernatural out of the Bible, you are left without God. Let's look at the exposition under five headings. First, the narrative. Second, the greeting. Third, the question. Fourth, the explanation. And five, the response. So let us look in the exposition exposition under these five headings. First, the narrative. In Hebrew narrative, the hypothetical Hebrew author said that if you want to emphasize a particular conclusion, you have to say it twice or more. This is true in the accounts of Mary, excuse me, in the accounts of Matthew and Luke, but in different ways. Matthew emphasizes the virgin birth in describing how the child was conceived, 
namely by the Holy Spirit. But the narrative of Luke regularly described Mary as the virgin. You will notice the way that the narrative speaks of this. Verses 26 through 28 recount the story this way. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. That is the way the narrative presents Mary as a virgin. Twice the narrative mentions that Gabriel was sent from God to a virgin named Mary. This is the most unlikely candidate for a birth story, a virgin. Now, I don't know much about giving birth, but I know, as my mother said, it takes two to tango. Given this, I know that a virgin is the most unlikely candidate for a birthing account. Furthermore, this is a most unlikely place. A city of Galilee to a town, rather a hamlet, called Nazareth. I've spent a fair amount of time in upstate New York, which I assure you is not the same thing as the city. In upstate, there are... uh, as many cows as people. The hamlet of such and such. A, so I, one time I saw a sign saying the hamlet of such and such a place. And I asked Uncle Charlie, Lindsay's Uncle Charlie what a hamlet was. And he said, I quote, a hamlet has a population of under 100 people. It is a settlement without even so much as a church. Nazareth Nazareth was a hamlet that cannot even be identified by modern scholars. They have assumptions because it is a place in Galilee, but no confirmations. Further, she was revealed as betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. This was an un, a most unlikely candidate for royalty. As you will see in just a moment, this child, Jesus, will be given the house of David and an eternal kingdom. This man, Joseph, was a most unlikely candidate for the throne of Jacob. Because Mary and Joseph were poor, as indicated by Luke 2.24. When Jesus was born, they, they must sacrifice to the Lord, and they couldn't offer a bull, or a goat, or even a lamb for the burnt offering, but offered a pair of two turtle doves, excuse me, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Leviticus 12.8 says, this is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female, And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her 
and she, she shall be clean. Presumably, they could not even afford a lamb for a burnt offering. The world would say, not really a birth narrative, or a birthplace, or a betrothal for the king of kings. However, this is how the word of God describes it. The beginning of the upside-down kingdom. This is the birthplace of King Jesus, according to the divine prerogative. It is almost without notice that Jesus would be born to a virgin in Bethlehem to a people who were from the hamlet of Nazareth, an unknown settlement of maybe 50 people. It was almost as if we would think that this is impossible for God. To give birth to a child like this was as if God would, would be, have us believe that this was utterly impossible for him. But then we would be sadly mistaken. This leads us to our second heading, the greeting. In verse 28, Gabriel said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. She was troubled, not fearful, as was Zechariah in the beginning of this chapter, but greatly troubled by this comment. The text says, starting in verse 30, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. A word about this, because you may be confused. Found favor with God is not because she had merited anything. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This favor with God is the verbal form of grace. She has found grace with God. In this context, she is just like you and I, a humble servant that has found grace. No Hail Marys needed. Mary is not to be prayed to, but she is the subject of the unmerited favor of God. She is a recipient of divine grace. And it was in grace that she bore our Lord. Let's continue with verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is some greeting. You, your name, excuse me, your son's name will be Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He will become great and will be called the son of the most high God, and God will give him great gifts the throne of his father David. Remember, his earthly father, uh, Joseph, is a descendant of David. And Jesus will be given an eternal kingdom. Now, it would take a whole sermon to unpack these descriptions of Jesus, and we are primarily concerned in this sermon about the way Jesus was conceived and born. Dr. Fesco is going to preach uh, 
the next Sunday morning on Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, in which uh, he is going to unpack many of these things. So let us carry on with the question. This contains the third heading, the question, Mary's question. Dr. Jones, my history professor at Troy University, was fond of saying that Mary was not a virgin, but simply a maiden. If she was only a maiden, it was not necessary that she was actually a virgin. This is the way he got around the virgin birth on a supposed technicality. Therefore, we need to establish that the Greek text doesn't mean simply virgin. First, this does not meet the criteria of the Greek word parthenos. The Parthenon was a Greek temple of Athens, and it still stands today. If you look up ancient Greece on your computer, it, it, it is most likely uh, that, that uh, you will be shown the Parthenon, which amazingly was built in the 5th century B.C. The Parthenon was selected to enshrine the goddess Athena. Athena means, uh, excuse me, Athena, and it means Athena the Virgin. In extra-biblical texts, the predominant translation of Parthenos means virgin. But what about the biblical text? The text of Scripture reveals this term 13 other times, and virtually every, every time it occurs, the predominant, trans, predominant translation is virgin. I will take the most conspicuous biblical texts. In Matthew 1.23, he, Matthew quotes Isaiah 7.14 to say that the virgin birth was predicted in Scripture and now has been fulfilled by the Virgin Mary. In Matthew 25, 1, 7, and 11, speak of Jesus' parable of the ten virgins. 2 Corinthians eleven two says, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Finally, Revelation 14, 4 says, It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. Maidens doesn't fit. All of these examples are to be translated virgin or virgins. Third, and most importantly, if Mary is not a virgin, it doesn't deal with the question which Mary asks in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? That is how the ESV reads it. But the Greek text is more emphatic. How can this be since I have not known a man? Now you are fully aware, you have been reminded of this several times, that to know is not like we use it today as intellectual knowledge. To know is generally used in the Bible to express intimacy. Adam knew Eve, and she delivered a son. Mary is saying 
that she has not known a man intimately or sexually. With this question, Mary makes clear that she is not gullible. She knows where babies come from. What she asks is a normal question of childbearing. But in the nature of the question, how will this be since I am a virgin, she assumes that she will conceive while still a virgin. That is a question of faith, unlike Zechariah. She asks in faith because she assumes that she will be giving birth while she is still a virgin. This gives license to Gabriel. He could have said, no, 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 you you mistake me. I mean, after you have been married to Joseph, this promise will be fulfilled only after you have been married, and then you will be given a son. However, by Gabriel's explanation, it is made abundantly clear that she will have a son in her virginity. This brings us to our fourth heading, the Gabriel's explanation. Verse 35 says, And the angel, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. With this verse, we need to recognize that this is miraculous and a supernatural birth. This is not the normal way of giving birth. And we will need to address four things before we move on. The first question is, how are we supposed to take the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary? How are we to understand this uh, Holy Spirit coming upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I am most persuaded by William Hendrickson's commentary on this, that the Holy Spirit coming on you parallels the power of the Most High, overshadowing you. I quote, Thus, the angel makes very clear to Mary that her conception will will result in from a divine, not a human action. The answer is cast in the form of synonymous parallelism, so that the Holy Spirit is paired with the power of the Most High and will come upon you. Resultant meaning, the personal Holy Spirit will bring about this wonder in Mary's womb by exerting His divine power. So with that in mind, it would read something like this. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Namely, this Holy Spirit is the power of the Most High. And this child will be conceived of that spirit of power and subsequently will be called Holy, the Son of God. This is a common way of speaking of the Holy Spirit as the power of God. Acts 1.8 tells us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And again, in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, 
This is a common way of speaking of the Spirit as the power of God. And I believe that this is the way, the best way, to take this passage. Second, I would like to ask how we are to understand the child shall be called holy. You well know that no son of Adam is designated holy after the fall until he is redeemed. No offspring of Adam is given the gift of holiness that had fallen, Genesis, after he had fallen. Genesis 5.3 says, When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his own image, and named him Seth. Adam was made in God's image and God's likeness. However, Seth was made after Adam's image and likeness. Adam perpetuated his sin when he procreated. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism says in question and answer 15, did all mankind fall in Adam's first transgression? Answer, the covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity, all mankind descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. After the fall of Adam, everyone likewise fell by the ordinary childbirthing process. Psalms, Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is the chief reason why Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit because the incarnate Jesus was to be holy. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit because in eternity past, he was holy. And the, in the incarnation, the becoming of flesh, Jesus would be holy as well. As Hebrews 7.26 says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, Unstained, separated from the sinner, un, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Mankind is tainted by sin, but Jesus was holy and did not have a sin nature. Although fully human, like Adam before he fell, the Holy Spirit conceived him to ensure that he was holy in the womb of the Virgin Mary so that he was not affected and infected by original or actual sin. Third, we need to discuss how the text says the child will be called the Son of God. In simple terms, Jesus will be called holy because Jesus is the Son of God, not the Son of Joseph. Joseph was merely perceived to be Jesus' father. However, Jesus was the Son of God. And the Son of God, or the Word, was in the moment of the Holy Spirit's conception becoming flesh. He was already God's eternally begotten Son. However, He will be called the Son of God. Satan knew it, and the demons knew it. When Satan tempted him in the desert, uh, he prefaces the temptation with, 
If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And the demons cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And the centurion at the cross knew that he was the Son of God. Mark fifteen thirty nine. Truly, this man was the Son of God. And John knew it. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. This declaration from the angel Gabriel emphasizes that he would be called the Son of God because he already was the Son of God. In this way, Gabriel declared that when taking on flesh, he merely assumes a body. His divine nature was not compromised. The Son of God doesn't lay aside any of his divine essence or attributes. He merely assumes a human body. There's one more question there is one more important feature of Gabriel's explanation. This is Gabriel gives an illustration. Gabriel affirms and assures Mary with this statement from verse 36 and 37. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Gabriel assures her that nothing is impossible with God. He illustrates that message because her cousin, Elizabeth, was barren and advanced in years. And Gabriel assures Mary that she is going to have a child by the Holy Spirit. With this illustration, Paul Cooper and I were discussing this the other day, that his sister-in-law, Bettina's uh, brother's wife, gave birth, get this, at 55 years of age. She gave birth at 55 and four months. Apparently, they had been trying for many years to have a baby, and finally, she gave birth to a son, and as I said, her age was 55 uh, 55 and four months, well after the the normal childbearing age. They call this, they call this son a miracle baby, and indeed, he really and truly is. By this illustration, and by the illustration that Gabriel gave to Mary, if this child, John, could be born of Zechariah and Elizabeth in their advanced age, there was certainly nothing that can prevent Mary from giving birth as a virgin. Certainly, God's hands are not tied. And he is in the business of making the seemingly impossible possible. This leads us to our fifth and final heading.
Mary's response. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In response to this message, Mary replied with humility. The angel angel said she would bear Jesus in the most inconceivable way. And she responded humbly. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This leads us to our applications. We can certainly apply these words to our hearts. First of all, I I would like to ask two questions. The first question is, what do you believe about the Bible? This is a miraculous supernatural birth. A Holy Spirit conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary. It is truly supernatural. However, your reaction to this narrative is very telling. If you take the supernatural out of the Bible, you ultimately take God out of the Bible. Once you start taking this narrative and that narrative out because it emphasizes the supernatural, you will abandon abandon much from the gospel accounts. As B.B. Warfield put it, it is the de-supernaturalized Jesus which is the mythical Jesus. To come back to the question, what does this birth narrative indicate about your position on the Bible? Either it is, in, either it is the inspired word of God, all of it, or else it is not. Further, I ask you another question. What do you believe about the Son of God? You would expect nothing less from the birth of the Son of God. That Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary and who would be holy, the Son of God. If He is not holy, then He is not the Son. If He is not the Son of God, then He is just a man like you and I and He cannot save If he cannot save you, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. So I repeat, what do you believe about the Son of God? The third application is uh, imitation. Aside from these questions, I, I wish that you would imitate Mary. We should respond like Mary, with humility. We are just the servants of the Lord, and we should respond just like she did. Let it be according to your word. We should always say that. Let it be according to your word, or thy will be done. Although we should pray that way, and indicate that we view ourselves as humble servants, we should never put a limitation on God. And this leads us to our final application, that nothing is impossible with God. I remember an episode while reading the life of Robert Murray McShane, who who was at one time a very famous preacher during the 19th century. 
One time, another minister came to his service, and McShane asked this minister how the service went and how he preached. He responded, it all went fine, but this thing I have to say to you, you prayed as if God is not able. That has really stood out for me. I I read this book maybe 10 years ago. And that has really stuck out with me. You prayed as if God is not able. I just have one encouragement for you. You have evidence right in front of you of how God answers prayers. And how He answers prayers that seem impossible. Like a man recovering from a malignant tumor in his brain who had lost the ability to speak, preaching once again to you. Is it possible but not impossible when praying to the God of the Bible. Nothing is impossible when praying to the God of the Bible. We're far more consequential, like a virgin bearing our precious Savior. Don't you ever think that with God it is possible Don't you ever believe that with God, anything is impossible. You know that he answers the seemingly impossible. May you never believe anything is impossible with God. And let us pray vividly for the reviving power of the Holy Spirit. And let us never stop praying for those who seem impossible to save. And let us pray for cancer patients and let us pray for Alzheimer's and and Parkinson's patients because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Let us once again pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you That for you, nothing is impossible. Absolutely nothing. And we pray that you will give us hearts like Mary. That believe what we really are. As humble servants. Asking thy will be done. And saying, let it be according to your word. May we never lose sight that your hands are not tied. That if you can do all these things in the birth of Jesus by the conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Truly, nothing is impossible for you. May we pray in faith concerning that doctrine. We pray for those that don't believe your word, that are are skeptical to your word. 
Please convict them of the power of your word to reclaim lost sinners. And that is including them. May they be compelled by the Holy Spirit to come to the Son of God, the Spirit that conceived uh, this holy child in the womb of the Virgin Mary, so that this child would be declared to be holy, so that these people would believe that He was and truly is the Son of God, and that by coming to Him in faith, they would receive the forgiveness of sins. We pray all these things in Jesus' most precious and holy name. Amen.